Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? All right, a little awake. I'll see how the 1045 does. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate that. Um, like Pastor Trevor said, I'm Grace Marie. If I've not met you, I'm the worship arts director here, and I'm excited about continuing this series this morning in the book of Ephesians. And oh boy, do we have a lot to cover. So we're just gonna jump right in. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians because we're gonna, we're gonna get there pretty quick. But first, I wanna tell you guys a quick story. I recently, my family took a big trip to the happiest place on earth, Disney World. Any Disney lovers in the room? All right, I won't ask if we have any Disney haters because it would make me very sad. But we planned this big trip. It's been years in the making and my family ended up planning it the, uh, the week right after Easter. So that meant for me waking up very early, coming here, doing all the Easter services. After that, driving to my house, hopping in the car with my parents and making an eight hour drive to Orlando. Then spending three full days at the Disney parks, okay? It was very exhausting, but it was incredible. And this was, like I said, years in the making because my brothers and I, this is our first trip as adults going back and then with their wives and their kids. So there were 11 of us. Here's our group picture there in front of the castle. There we are. Seven adults, four kids. All the kids are eight and under. And so it was exciting. It was a really big deal. Now, when you do Disney with a group like this, you need to have some serious strategy. You need to have some understanding for who is responsible for what, otherwise you're not gonna get to do stuff and you're just gonna be wasting a ton of money. So we called ourselves the Ward Crew. We were a unit, we were together, we were gonna capture every memory we could in Disney World. So some of us would meet the night before each park day and we would come up with a strategy. All right, this person's gonna do this, we need to be up at this time. If we're gonna make the rope drop, we gotta be at the monorail at this time, we gotta get the kids ready, who's making the sandwiches? I mean, it was a whole thing that we were doing. And when we got in there, we also had a plan. Some of the people were, some of the dads, our, my brothers were the stroller pushers. You know, some of us had the app out and we were looking at the line times. Some of us were leading the pack, holding our hand up and then looking back and counting to make sure we didn't lose anybody. And it was amazing that we did this because there were lots of different personalities in our group. Some strong, not me, some, some a little gentler, but we all made it happen all because we wanted to capture incredible moments of joy and memories, much like this one. Those are my parents. <laughs> I know you thought I was gonna show the little kids capturing moments, but I saw that picture and I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to my family. Like, look at my, my parents are so happy on this trip. Now, this morning, we're gonna continue in this series on the book of Ephesians, and we're gonna get some very practical teaching on what it means to be a part of a group of people that's unified, that's intentional with, in relationship with each other, but also missional in its purpose. What does it mean to have a group of people who are intentional in their relationships with each other, yet purposeful in its mission? And today we're gonna look at how that affects our understanding of what it means to be a part of a church. The Big C Church, the Church Global, and also the Church Local. And if you call yourself a Christian here today who has found salvation in Jesus Christ, then you are a part of the church. The church at large, the church global, and the things that God is doing, one, one expression of that locally is Mount Horeb Church. Here we are. It's an expression of that, but it's something that's happening on a much larger scale. 
And much of what we'll talk about today will refer to our relationships with other Christians in this local context, though its principles apply across the board to all churches, all churches that work together for the purpose of Jesus. So what we're gonna do is ask this question, what does it mean to have unity and why is it so important in the church? What does it mean to have unity and why is it so important in the church? This series on Ephesians has, all of the, has been all about the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. He writes them a letter. In the first three chapters, he's going over the basics of what it means to believe, what it means to accept salvation, what it means to know Jesus, what it means to live experiencing the grace of God in your life. But then when we get to chapter four, there is a turn. There is a turn there. And what it says, it starts with the word therefore. It says therefore when it starts chapter four. And what essentially it's saying, another way to say this, is what we believe will affect how we behave. Paul is saying, we've gone over three different chapters. I've written all this stuff about what you believe, but guess what? It should affect how you behave. It should affect how you behave. And that's what we're gonna look at today. Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna jump right in. If you have your Bibles, follow along. If not, you can follow on the screen, but here we go. Verses one through three, I'm gonna read for us. It says, therefore, there it is. If this is true, then this happens. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now listen to this challenge for us today. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. You see, the thing that, that sticks out to me, very first, the very first thing when we look at church unity coming off of these first three, three chapters is church unity comes with individual responsibility. This is not the time to be like, yeah, that person does need to be more humble. That person is not gentle with me. The Lord needs to get a hold of their heart. That is not what it's saying. Right at the beginning, we see this as personal. We see this as a relational challenge. This is important because it moves us past the immature notion of what are they doing about unity and forces us to say, what am I doing about unity? What am I doing about unity. Notice it does not say there will be no problems among Christians. Somebody say holler. <laughs> Notice it does not say that there will be no disagreements. Notice it does not say that everyone is expected to be perfect. Notice it does not say that everyone has to be BFFs or that we'll sit around and there'll be sunshine and rainbows between people in the church while we sit and sing Kumbaya in a circle. I promise you this is not how our staff meetings go here at the church. <laughs> Though I'd pay good money to see Pastor Jeff lead that, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Notice it does not say any of these unrealistic expectations when it comes to relationships in the church, but notice what it does say. It says always be humble and gentle. It says be patient with each other. Anybody struggle with patience this morning? It says make allowance for each other's faults. I mean, we live in a culture 
that is looking to cut you off when you mess up. Looking for weak spots, looking for things that people are doing wrong so we can just get them out of the situation. Looking, wanting someone to fail. It says, no, make allowance for each other's faults because we're human. It says, make every effort to stay united in the spirit. The, the Greek behind the phrase, make every effort, means to do so in a timely manner. You're supposed to make it a priority, a high priority. Make every effort. Do not let things come between you and other believers because it is gonna cause major problems. It says bind yourselves together in peace. You see, right here at this turning point in chapter four in the book of Ephesians, after all these things about what we believe, it's time to talk about how we behave towards each other. We get a very, very clear picture that this unity is gonna take serious work, right? It's serious work. We also get the picture that it's very, very important to the overall health of this group if this group is gonna accomplish anything in the world. We're each individually responsible for the part that we play, so work out your relational and internal conflict as much as you can. And the scriptures speak a lot on this. We're only gonna fly high this morning looking at some of the big picture things, but there's a ton that's talked about when it comes to unity and how we handle conflict within the church. For those of us who grew up with siblings like I did, some of our first uh, practice at working out conflict is, is with your brothers or your sisters, right? I mean, that's, that's the quickest way you start learning. Like, oh, this can be a little bit tricky. And there were certain things between me and my brothers, I had two younger brothers, that we would, work, we would work out and fight over and then we'd go to our parents over. But then there was other things we needed to work out before we went to our parents, because that means everybody was getting a spanking. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, all right, let's, 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 deal, let's deal with this. Because the reality is when it comes to community and any relationships, it can be very messy. Whether Christian or not, as humans, we bring a lot of dynamics into the equation with our own hurts, with our own baggage, with our own expectations of how things should be. And I'm not dismissing that reality this morning. What I'm not saying is, oh, whatever, we just need to function unified and just get about our business. I'm not saying that. There are things that need to be dealt with, obviously. Still, there is a clear call in scripture to live as unified. Well, why is this important? Let's keep going in the passage. Pick it up in verse four. So all this talk about our personal individual responsibility. And then it says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Paul says, one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God, one. Are we sensing a theme here? He drives home the fact that we are united as one. Yes, you're individuals. There's gonna be these things that you need to work out, but you're one, you're one, you're one because of what the Lord has done. The beautiful thing about the church is that we're not trying to sit around in this room and figure out what do we have in common? Because I promise there's a lot more that, things that we probably don't have in common, especially the church global. But the thing is what we have in common is Christ. What we have in common is Christ and salvation and what we experience in him, that makes us one. Unity is not something that we manufacture. It is something we maintain. We're not coming up with it. God has created the unity. God has done the work. He's created the church. 
And we're called to properly care for it and maintain it. God's the one who's broken down walls of division. He's broken into human history and brought salvation through Jesus Christ. He's made salvation available to all people and we're united into this beautiful thing together, the life of the church living in community with purpose to expand his kingdom, the church. He brought us together and he's calling us to maintain unity within the church. There's something that binds us that is strong, even in the midst of our differences. Uh, about a couple months ago, I got a phone call from my high school about playing in an alumni softball game, okay? Nothing will make you feel older than like them calling you and saying, hey, we're, we're getting a team together from the last 20 to 25 years to play the current team. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so I was really excited about it. So I said, let's go, let's do it. So. It was a, a team that was put together, like I said, from the last 20 to 25 years of alumni. And when I, when I first got there, y'all, I was feeling a certain kind of way. I mean, I got there, I pulled up, I'm watching the new team warming up, okay? I mean, like, they're like, you know, 15, 16 year olds. They were, they were all warming up. They had their matching uniforms. They had all this fancy new gear that I didn't even know existed. These new cleats, all shiny and matching, looking all youthful and in shape. I'm rolling up at 40 years old, no official uniform, no cleats, and feeling very out of shape. And as we all, the alumni, we're gathering, we're kinda, you know, some of us had played together, some of us hadn't, and we're just kinda like, hey, like, like we just, we look, we look like the bad news bears. I'm not gonna lie to you. We look like the bad news bears. And so we're trying to put some warm-ups together, like should we like run? Should we like practice throwing? Should we stretch? Meanwhile, the other team is like boom, 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 running all these exercises, and I'm like, Oh, this is gonna be rough. This is gonna be rough. So many different stories on this alumni team of where the journeys have taken them since they've graduated. Some of them have like three kids out there cheering for their mom. Some of them are just, you know, gone off the deep end and then back again. I mean, it was just all kinds of stories that represented this alumni team. But here was the thing. There was something bigger that united us that day as alumni, as graduates of Lawrence Christian School, there was something bigger that was going on as a team, something that we had in common that it didn't matter if we had uniforms that matched. There was something uniting us. The current team was a bit cocky at first, but I'm happy to report that the alumni team did win. In case anybody was wondering, thank you. Wow, all right, all right. I was gonna show you some pictures, but they were too embarrassing. So. Something was bonding us and uniting us regardless of the years that had passed, even though people would have said we were a ragtag team out there. You see, the church, the people of God are brought together in him. Regardless of how not put together we may seem at times, amen? Regardless of your pasts, Regardless of when we get it right or don't get it right, there's something that unites us and what we have in common is Christ. And he calls us to be unified. What's really interesting about Ephesians 4 and the, the timing of Ephesians 4, like I said, it was chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, this is what we need to believe and know about what it means to be a Christian. Now let's talk about how we behave. But the thing that's interesting is Paul has just made a huge announcement a groundbreaking announcement to these Christians, 
right before this. So this is this talk on unity and striving to, to work together is coming on this announcement. And this is what it says right before this, chapter three, verse six. It says, this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both, both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. We talked about this a little more in detail last week when, when Stahl gave the message, but it was a huge deal that Paul is telling these Christians, hey, guess what? Everybody's invited to the table now to accept Jesus. You're gonna be sitting at a table with people from all different backgrounds, but you're gonna be one now and you're gonna be united. Don't you think this would have taken some serious relational adjustment? Don't you think this would have been hard? This new reality would have brought disruption. It would have brought friction. It would have brought cultural clashes. Maybe some prideful thoughts of, well, they don't deserve to be a part of this. I mean, we're God's chosen people, so how are they all of a sudden equal getting the blessings of God? This doesn't make sense to me. They haven't earned it. There would have been a lot of things being brought up maybe in the hearts and minds of the Jewish Christians that are like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. And Paul's saying, yeah, this is the new reality. You're all one in me now, and guess what? You're gonna need to work out your relational friction. You're gonna need to take some individual responsibility for the things that are gonna come up that are gonna seek to tear you apart. Because God's gonna spread his kingdom and his love and his salvation for the world to know him through this unified people called the church. And Paul says, you're one. You're one no matter the race, no matter the age, no matter the ethnicity, no matter the economic status, no matter your past failures, no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what car you drive, no matter any of these differences, the beauty, beautiful thing is that the gospel of Jesus, we are united because of because what he has done. This affects the church local, and affects the church global. All this talk about unity, I know some of you are like, okay, but like there's clearly gonna be things that bring disunity. We're human, we're people. There are gonna be things that bring disunity because there are enemies of God's purposes. There's evil at work in the world that will try to tear the church down. There are just general persecution that happens. There's false teaching, there's hard life circumstances, there's sin that happens inside the church and then there's sin that happens outside of the church. So many things will be used to try to break church unity and divide us to get us off course of what we're really actually called to do. And surely there are things that need to be dealt with, like I said earlier. This is not a call to ignore serious issues and scripture teaches all about that in other places. So let's not take that out of context but for us to appropriately grow and be healthy together, we need to individually do our part to maintain this oneness and this unity. It's a clear call in scripture, no matter what things are coming our way. Because here, here's what's true. The things that try to break us will never be stronger than the things that bind us. The things that try to break us will never be stronger than the things that bind us because we're binded because of Christ and what he's done for us. Though there will be plenty of things coming our way seeking to break 
the unity that we have. Earlier this year, I was with my mom in Florence picking up two of my nieces from the car line, and uh, it was very exciting, you know, you got the little name out there, they, the kids see you, they run out there, they jump in the car, and so my first question is like, what's your favorite part of school? Like, what's your favorite part of the day? And Annie Ray, who's eight, appropriately answered lunch. Quick and fast, I was like, that's my girl, I can get on board with that. Everybody's excited about lunch. I said, Liza, what's your favorite part of the day? She said, car line. I'm like, technically not a part of school, but I'll allow it, you know, I get it. She's ready to get out of there. Now, when I was that age, if somebody asked me what my favorite part of school was in elementary school, without a question, recess, anybody? Okay, nobody, okay. Everybody else votes for lunch? All right, got it. Well, I need to go to recess. I was working off my lunch. So, I mean, that was, was a very fun time. And I remember one of my favorite things to do at recess was play Red Rover, okay? For all the young ones in the room, if you don't play this anymore at recess, let me give you a small recap. Red Rover is when you get a group of people in a big field, hopefully, and you link arms, okay? This is your team, you're united. You link arms and you hold tight. And the other team, is across the field a little way. They're also linking arms. I mean, it's like enemy to enemy here. And what happens is someone calls to the other team to send someone over to, to, to try to break through one of the lines. And so we'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Trevor right over. And no matter what was happening in that line, you knew you gotta hold tight. You gotta brace for it. You gotta hold on like nothing else matters in the world because everyone on your side was affected when the line was broken. So Susie and Sarah better work out their conflict before we team up. Because you don't want any weak spots, but you realize that no matter who was coming over, you were holding tight because you didn't want the line to break. Too often in the church, it seems like we tend to point out our weak spots. We're like, hey, someone, 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 so having trouble down there, take them out. They've been gossiping about stuff. Take them out, we don't want them anymore. This person has a lot of differences or where we think the church should go, take them out. This is not the call to unity that we see God teaching us about here. We need to be unified as much as possible to the point that we're holding strong and we're invested in the health of the whole line. We want everyone to stand strong, no matter what negativity, no matter what enemies come our way, no matter the things that try to tear us apart, we need to hold strong because the things that try to break us will never be stronger than the things that bind us. They'll never be stronger than the things that bind us. So Paul says, you're one, you're one, you're one, you're one, you're one, you're one. And then he goes to the very next verse after all this. After all this, the very next, next verse says this in verse seven. He says, however, I'm like, all right, we got another turn here. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Pick it up back up in 11, it says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. 
See, Paul says, you're one, you're one, you're one. However, you're actually uniquely different in this one. Much like my family on the Disney trip, we were the ward unit, we were the ward crew, we were together. We were all very different in what our different responsibilities were, but we were united in our purpose. Church unity comes when each individual plays their own God-given role. You see, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We don't need everyone dressing the same, looking the same, listening to the exact same type of music, having the exact same jobs. That, that's not what this is about. Unity is not uniformity. We're one and we should live united in that purpose, yet God has uniquely gifted us to play a role within the church. And no one role is more important than the other. It lists out the different leadership roles in that passage, but other places in the New Testament, it talks about the different giftings of the Spirit for people within the church to play their role. We are one, yet we're individuals, and we mutually need each other to function well. Unity is not uniformity, because we mutually need each other to function well. Let me, let me put it this way. We think uh, one like a family, but individual like its members, mom, dad, daughter, son, puppy dog, because part of the family. One like the ocean, yet individual like the waves. One like a body, but individual with all of its parts to function well. One like a band, but individual like its musicians. For example, we had the wonderful worship band playing this morning and leading us in worship and acknowledging the presence of God together today. They function as one. They're the worship team, they're the worship band. Yet there are individual instrumentalists and musicians that are playing. And it functions best as a unit when each musician plays their part in their instrument. It functions best as a unit when each musician plays the song in the correct key and at the same tempo. Because when that stops happening, everything goes off the rails. It does not work well if each musician just decides on their own, own what song they wanna do today. What key, what tempo feels best for me? I'm kinda liking this one. And you got the drummer on a different beat. I'm telling you, it is not gonna work well as a unit. They need to be playing from the same sheet of music, so to speak. You need to be playing from the same sheet of music for this to actually work. So the ultimate question is like, okay, but how do we actually do that? If we're all doing individual things and we're all growing and learning together and doing our part, who's actually calling the shots? Where are we getting our guidelines from? How do we do this? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Isn't that a beautiful way to describe a healthy church? Healthy, growing, and full of love. 
You see, maintaining this type of unity requires aligning to one authority. To maintain this type of unity requires aligning our hearts individually and communally to one authority. It doesn't work if everybody's coming up with their own guidelines about everything. As the church, we look to him as the head, as the authority over our lives. Here's the truth and the reality that I don't even need to say, but I'm gonna say it, is that every one of us is broken. We're all broken in some way, and we, and we, bring, we bring our baggage into communities. We bring our baggage into relationships. And I actually think the beautiful thing about the passage is that God says community is a safe place to work through those things. Some people want to avoid community or being a part of a local church or a small group because they don't want people getting close. They don't want people looking in, but it's actually clear in scripture that through this community is where the healing takes place, through a community of people that are all striving and working together. So the brokenness is invited in because in that is when we learn to grow and allow Christ's love to overwhelm us. Some of us need help when it comes to just self-awareness. Maybe you don't realize the waves that your, that your life is having around you, the impact that it's having. And so I think sometimes taking a personality test, having people around you say, hey, like I can take this test and kind of point out some things maybe, maybe you don't see. I think if you have safe people in your life, that's a really good and healthy thing to do. But maybe that's a step for you this morning. Some of us need help just working through past trauma in counseling. Maybe you don't realize the impact of some things that happened in your childhood or your teen years or your 20-something years or whatever it is. You don't realize some things that have happened and the impact of that is coming out all over the place in community. Maybe you need a counselor to help you work through those things. That's healthy, that's good. Some of us this morning just need to get serious about getting into God's word and knowing what he actually says about how to live our life, to truly be discipled and mentored in our faith and to grow because here's the thing, Jesus as the head cares about the health of the whole. Jesus cares about the health of the whole, the whole body. He doesn't just want you to grow in your faith, he also wants this person, and it, and it can be messy, but we need each other as we work those things out together. Jesus cares about the health of the whole, and he is our authority. We can trust him. We can trust him, and we can trust him to lead us. A few years ago, a pastor and a professor got together and did this incredible study and came up with a digital image to represent the Bible and all the different cross-references that are in the Bible. There's 63, let me make sure I get this right, 63,000 cross-references in the Bible that show the unity between Scripture, and this is the image that they came up with. You can, you can Google this and find out about it, and there's incredible things that go into the details of this, but just the visual image of showing all the 63,000 different references to things all throughout scripture shows how incredibly unified the Bible is. They say this about this, this project. They said, the Bible is a beautifully rendered tapestry rather than a chaotic patchwork quilt. Consider the fact that the books of the Bible were written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a bit of Aramaic. 
over a millennium and a half in a variety of types of literature by about 40 different people who lived in sometimes radically different cultures and across a geographical chunk of the world that spans about 2,500 miles. There's a lot of things going on there. They say this, in the face of such diversity, the unity and the flow of the Bible's meta-narrative is breathtaking. The beauty and the flow of the Bible's meta-narrative or its ultimate story that's uniting everything together is breathtaking. You see, the Bible is unified in what it says about Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal Paul's trying to get these people to. We need our hearts aligned about who Jesus is. We need to align to him. And the Bible gives us a clear picture of who he is, what he's called us to, and how we are to live in this world. So the natural question this morning is like, all this talk about unity and oneness, I'm sure people are saying, why is there actually so much division in the church? Why are there so many different practices and different doctrines and different methods and different opinions on everything and different denominations and we're in the middle of a denominational split ourselves? Different Bible translations, the list goes on and on and on and on and on about all these differences. And here, here's what I can say that I think is a helpful guideline for us and for each church. It's, it's a, a, a phrase that many theologians have used. It's in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. In essentials, unity. Now I recognize that each local church is gonna have to work that out for themselves because not everybody agrees on what the essentials are. So that's an, an important part of, of studying God's word and coming underneath that. But in essentials, we need unity to function as one. In the non-essentials, we need liberty, we need freedom. There's lots of freedom given in the New Testament of the church about how certain things are worked out. But in all things, in all things, charity, love. In Jesus's ministry, he prayed an incredible prayer in John 17. And his prayer is actually for every one of us this morning, which I think is, is amazing. And he, he's saying this in John 17, verse 20 and 21. Listen to these incredible words. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. You catch that phrase? So that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus is crying out for his people that are coming behind him to be people who are unified. This matters because the world is watching. Unity in the body is a witness to the world. Unity in the body is a witness to the world. Some of us, unfortunately, unfortunately, give the watching world every reason to not be a Christian simply by the way we talk about and treat other Christians. People are like, ooh, I don't wanna be a part of that. And sometimes we do it not even realizing we're doing it. 
Jesus is saying we need to be united because you're, you living united as one and intentional with each other and Christ-like to each other and Christ-like to the world, that's actually the way you're missional in the world because unity in the body is actually a witness to the world. And the book of Ephesians makes it clear, hey, we're not always gonna get this right. But we need to all be moving in that direction and the only way we're doing that is if we're aligning to the authority of Jesus himself as the head, because he cares, he cares. And may our prayer for all of us today, for us to play our part individually and in how our community is infected about living intentionally for Christ. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for who you are. We're thankful that there are things that unite us in the room, that bond us in the room, that bind us in the room, that are deeper than anything that can break us. No matter our past, no matter where we've come from, Lord, I know that in you we are one and many people are a part of this beautiful thing called the church, not just locally represented all across our community, but across the globe in churches that are on mission for you. And I just pray that our hearts would be sensitive to that, that we'd be open to the ways that you're at work in our own individual lives for us to be responsible for the way you're growing us and leading us to love well in this world. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray.